the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. You've got to stir yourselves up, don't you? Just a moment of prayer, you just begin to think about God's goodness and everything just seems to get all right. It's like the the iron doors are open, and you walk out into the freedom of God. Well, turn to Romans 14. Another thing you can do is open his holy word. You're talking about encouragement. Chalk full of stuff that will just set you free. We'll start in Romans 14, verse 19. I'm going to read it in the King James Version. It says, Let us therefore follow after things which make, a, make for peace. How many is for that? Whew. So why are we following all this other stuff? Let us therefore follow after things that make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Say the word edify. edify. Do y'all know what that means? I'm going to give you a description here in a minute, but the new series that we're beginning tonight is entitled, Does It Edify? Does It Edify? Tonight's message is entitled, Part 1, The Holy Ghost Medley. Some of you are saying, all right. Some of you are saying, what's wrong with this guy? You know, when I first got saved, I was playing in a rock and roll band, and, and they put me on the praise team way too soon. <laughs> you know, I had a little Marshall amp and a rock and roll guitar, and all I knew was some blues rock and roll licks, and they put me in there with some piano music and some, you know, some Christian Songs I had never heard Christian music my whole life. I mean, only th I'd gone to a Catholic church, and that's about as much Christian music as I'd heard. I didn't know so much as Amazing Grace, I'm telling you. And so I would play my rock and roll licks to, to that stuff, and they were like, oh, all right. Well, about the time, the, the, the keyboard lady, she had to move off. She was the leader of the band back in those days. And so they looked around, and they saw Rick back there playing on the drums, they looked over at me, and they said, who are we going to get to lead? They looked back at Rick. <laughs> they unfortunately made the wrong decision of choosing me. <laughs> and so I began to lead the music, and I tell you what, I can't tell you how many times I'd pick three songs off the list, and I was so unfamiliar with these songs, I'd get through the first one, and I'd get to the second one, and I couldn't remember how the second one went, and I'd reach back to Gary or somebody on the praise team. How's this one go? He'd go, you know, no. he would sing a little bit, and I, I got it. And he'd come back to the microphone, and we'd start singing the second song. I was just unfamiliar with it. I didn't know what I was doing. But somewhere along the line, I started getting the hang of the songs, you know. And then those were back in the, the big church days, you know, back when the Holy Ghost was making a splash and a lot of things were happening in the church. That's when they, the start of the charismatic movement, it seems like. I don't know, 
but it was a lot of stuff, Holy Ghost meetings and stuff going on. And I remember playing one of those songs one time, and people just jumped up in the Holy Ghost, started shouting, started running around the church and stuff, and I'd never seen nothing like that. One time it got so bad, Richard jumped up and ran around the church. We was left without a drummer. <laughs> one time it was like a six-piece band. It was me and Tony was the only ones left up there playing. <laughs> well, I started noticing on certain songs people would get excited. So me and my lightning fast mind, I said, okay, we'll do that song again next week. Because that was the whole point in the bars is to do the ones that they liked, that they got excited about. And so before you know it, just about every Sunday, I was doing a Holy Ghost medley. <laughs> they, I, I think Richard would call them those doom pop songs. Is that what he called them, Tony? Because uh, it would go, doom pop, doom top, doom top, doom top. And it would get everybody excited, doom top, doom top. And they would start dancing. <laughs> and uh, and I, so we, I would put a whole medley of doom pop songs together, you know. And then after a while, they... they they didn't seem to get as, the second time I did them, you know, they were still excited, you know, but it wasn't as much, and then it was like they weren't excited as, at all, and I began, I thought it was the song that caused people to get excited. <laughs> Bless my heart, that's right. <laughs> Later on, when I realized that it wasn't the song that made people run, I began to justify what I had done. I, oh, I was just priming the pump. I was just getting people ready, you know, for the Holy Spirit. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is not a pump, and he don't need priming. The Holy Spirit moves as he wills. And there, the song has very little to do with it. In fact, later on, I had found that sometimes in just the quiet moments, when we would just stop playing for a minute, he was more likely to move in a service than when we were doing the doom pops, you know. We don't control the Holy Spirit. And now I'm fixing to say something that might even surprise you more than that. <laughs> he doesn't control us. At least not in a forceful way. He partners with us. <clears throat> we can work together in harmony, but be, don't be mistaken about it. He is in charge. He decides when he moves. It's as the Spirit wills. Now, the church at Corinth was a new church, New Testament church, you know, after Jesus was resurrected, and they, the disciples went out and started making converts, and they started a church in a town called Corinth, and that's where we get First and Second Corinthians in the Bible. There were letters that Paul wrote to that church, that was a messed up church, man. They was probably playing doom pops every song. Doom pop, doom pop, doom. I mean, they were, they were just kind of crazy. They, but you can understand, they didn't have the whole New Testament written already for them. They were just learning as they went, you know, and trying to figure things out on their own. So the Apostle Paul had to write them some letters to try to correct some things going on. I, I think I mentioned it one time here recently, when they would take communion, Back in those days, you know, they did the whole meal like Jesus did the Last Supper. You know, they would, they would break bread together and eat, and then eat a meal, and then at the end they would take some non-alcoholic new wine and, and drink the wine. <laughs> I don't know if it was non-alcoholic or not, but, but, they, but the Apostle Paul had to get on them. He said, some of you guys are getting off work early and rushing down there and eating up all the food before the rest of the people can get there. You're not waiting on one another. 
Some of you are getting drunk on the wine. You know, and you're not leaving any wine for anybody else to even do communion with, basically. He was saying you're not being respectful of one another. You're not doing things together. And there was a lack of church discipline in the church. They were letting sexual immorality and stuff like that go. There was divisions. They were cliquish. Some of them were saying, oh, well, I like Paul's teaching the best. I'm with Paul. And other guys said, oh, you don't know nothing. Apollos preaches better than Paul. And so they started clanning up with si causing divisions in the church and liking somebody better than the other. They were even suing each other, it said. They were taking each other to uh, court. Paul's like, y'all can't find one person in the church with enough common sense to judge between y'all? Y'all got to go into the world and let them judge? And make an embarrassment of the church of God? Like we can't handle our own affairs? Why wouldn't you rather just suffer the harm and, and not sue your own brother? And so he was, he was telling them stuff. They, they were just doctor, doctrinally, that's hard to say. If you can't say it, you can't, can't understand it, huh? Doctrinally ignorant. They just didn't know a lot of stuff. And they were completely out of order when it came to matters about the Holy Spirit. They just, it was just a free-for-all. They just did whatever felt good to, to each other. And I can imagine coming up in that service, after you read some of the things we're going to read today, you can imagine what it must have been like. Now, I personally have been doing a lot, you know, since I've been saved and since I stopped throwing the doom pump medleys in there, have been pondering the uh, proper role of the gifts of the Holy Spirit within the church setting. How are we supposed to do things in a way that's pleasing to God, honoring to Him, and, and utilizes uh, and uh, doesn't restrain the Holy Spirit? How do we do things decently and in order? And let me first say, so nobody misunderstands me, I would not want to go to a church where the Holy Spirit was not in charge. I wouldn't want to go to a, a, a church where there's no Holy Spirit, that he's not welcome there. They've just taken him completely out of the picture. That will never happen as long as I'm pastor. But I would also like to avoid some of the chaos that the Corinthian church was going through. At the same time, there can, I believe there's balance. And I can't say that I've got it all right. And some of you, this is very touchy stuff when you get to talking about the way people see church and the, and the way we do church and all that. I'm not saying that I have it all right. And if somebody wants to get with me later and, you know, give me the five-fold ministry, I'll understand. But we can talk things out. We can, uh, you know, we don't have to split over this. That, this the, the worst thing is when churches split over issues like this. Denominations are created and all these things, and it's just division. I can't say I got it all right, but I have meditated on this subject a lot. And today, one phrase kept coming to me as I was meditating on how to, to describe my thoughts and what I believe the Word of God says on the issue. And this one thought kept coming to me, and it was bringing a greater clarity than any way I've thought about how to describe it up until this point, the way I see things. And the question that I kept getting in my spirit is, does it edify? Is what you're doing 
Is what the Holy Spirit's doing through you or in your church service or, or the things that you do in your church service, does it edify? Now, I told you I'd give you the definition. Edify is to instruct and improve, especially in moral and religious knowledge. goes on to say to uplift, to enlighten, to inform, basically to build us up. That's what it edify, to edify. Now, you, you can, it can happen to you, it can edify you, but it can also edify others. And in a greater sense, since we're talking about tonight the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the very word gift would imply that it's for someone else. Does that make sense? Since by nature, gifts are to be given. So, in light of that, does it edify? Is do what we do, does it edify others, not just ourselves? Does it make sense? I think that's a good question to ask. I, I believe that's a good question not only to ask about the gifts and the operation of the Holy Spirit in the church. It's a good, op, it's a good question for a Christian to ask about just about anything that they do, any decision that they have to make. Should I smack that guy? Does it edify? No, I can't. You know? What edifies? It'll help you make right decisions. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll read the first letter that Paul wrote to these eggheads. <coughs> Verse 7. Now, he's already said a lot to get to the 12th chapter, believe me. They needed a lot of straightening out. 1 Corinthians 7. This chapter talks about the spiritual gifts. There's nine gifts mentioned here that the Holy Spirit gives to man. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives the message of special knowledge, words of wisdom. Uh, then the, the, the same Spirit gives, and, and you notice that word Spirit it's capitalized, right? What spirit are we talking about? Is it the human spirit? The human spirit's always little letters. The big S means the Holy Spirit. The same spirit gives faith to another, and to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another person the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what has been said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people. He gives gifts to us, wonderful gifts, spiritual gifts, so we're not so spiritually dull. You know, think about how well the church would operate if nobody had a word of wisdom, nobody had a word of knowledge, nobody had the discerning of what's good and evil, nobody could uh, preach, nobody prophesied just means anointed preaching, basically. You know, it means more than that, but that's in, in a nutshell. Think of if these gifts were not in operation, miracles, healings, and all that, you would pr basically get the American church. You would get a bunch of carnal Christians 
who want to do away with the Holy Spirit, who think they, that just because of their little pea brain, they can figure everything out. They don't need the Holy Spirit. That is not us. We need the Holy Spirit. A spiritual gift is given why in light of these scriptures. We'll go back to where we began in verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. There goes that, that idea of edifying one another, right? Not just edifying ourselves. The gifts are given so that we can give out. The fruit is produced so that people can pick the fruit off of our vines. We don't eat our own fruit. So it's about other people. The Holy Spirit indwells you, empowers you to be a blessing. And all these gifts are given so that you can help edify and help each other. Now, no gift causes as much confusion as the gift of tongues. And so that's where I'm going to delve into tonight. I'm going, well, hallelujah. <clears throat> you know, I got to preach them as I get them. I endeavor to listen to the Holy Spirit so that I know what to preach. And I tell you what, if he told me to preach on little green tree frogs or something, I'd do it. Because if I felt like it was the Holy Spirit, I want to do what the Holy Spirit says do. So now let's skip 1 Corinthians 13 and go to 1 Corinthians 14. By the time we get through with this, you're going to say, you sure read a lot of Scripture tonight. Because the Scripture says it. Says it all. I don't even really need to preach it. You just read it and you, you can see for yourself. If we, want to, if we need to, we'll go back and read it again in the King James. It says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 14. Because tongues, I don't know what it is, but the devil has harped on that. I think it's that natural mind, that natural man that doesn't understand spiritual things. And when he hears something he doesn't understand or sees something he don't understand, he automatically throws up walls. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, no. Not me. Not getting any of that hokey stuff. Well, it's not hokey. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We have to learn. We see through a glass darkly, but that don't mean we don't welcome the things of the Spirit. Let me not preach this, Lord. 1 Corinthians 14.1. In light of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which they just departed from and entered into 14, let love be your highest goal. Remember in 12 was talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And then they says the best gift of all is just to love one another. You can't go wrong with that. And now in 14, he's explaining further. But let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. See, so you should desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You should desire those nine gifts. Did I say that? Or does it say that right there in the Word of God? especially the ability to prophesy. I looked up prophesy, the word prophesy in the Greek, and I can't really pronounce it. It's, it's almost like it, though. It's prophetia, 
prophetia. It means to make clear, to assert as a priority. It means divinely empowered forthtelling. It basically means anointed preaching. It means making clear the Word of God. It means making clear God's plan, making it a priority. Things that are divinely inspired. Forthtelling the gospel. That's what prophecy is. So hopefully, when I'm up here preaching, I'm basically prophesying to you. Hopefully, if I'm anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not just up here reading text, dry and dusty text, that, you know, there's no spirit in it. It's like prophecy. So especially desire the gift to prophesy. Why? Because people need to understand. And if you, ha if you understand and you, ha you have the gift, then help other people understand because that's really what it's all about is getting the message out, enlightening their understanding so people can be saved. That's the most important thing. Would you agree? Verse 2. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But no one who prophesies, but no, I'm sorry, but one who prophesies strengthens others. In the King James, when that word strengthens, it means ed edifies. Same thing, strengthens, edifies. Okay, so it's saying, when you speak in tongues, you're speaking directly to God. People don't understand you. The devil don't understand you. That's probably one of the reasons he gave us a, a private language. So the devil don't know what's going on. But you don't understand you. It bypasses your thinker. It, it emanates from your spirit through God's spirit. It comes up, you give it voice, and it comes out in a language that you don't understand, but you're speaking to God, and God understands. But it says, this is talking about in a church setting. Remember who he's talking to, the Corinthian church that's all out of whack. But one who prophesies strengthens others. See, that's what I'm doing here tonight, trying to strengthen you and your understanding. Myself as well. It encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened or edified personally. But one who speaks forward a word of, a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church or edifies the entire church. But it does say speaking in tongues edifies you. You see, there's a proper place to speak in tongues. There's a purpose behind it. It's speaking mysteries. It's praying out things you don't know. It builds up your spirit, man. It builds you up. But what good, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but what good would, I, would you have gotten out of this so far if I was just up here speaking in tongues? See, there's a proper place. There's a proper balance in everything godly. Verse 5 says, I wish you could all speak in tongues. For those of you who have said tongues is of the devil, this is the Apostle Paul writing, I wish that you could all speak in tongues. But even more, I wish you could all prophesy. 
For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened or edified. You see, there's the gift that we read about in chapter 12 of speaking in tongues, tongues and interpretation. That's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives for a specific message. Somebody gives a tongue, there must be an interpretation so that the people can understand. That's in a public setting. That that's different than your private prayer language. Your private prayer language, which I pray in tongues almost as much as Paul because I pray in tongues more than you all. <laughs> I pray in tongues all the time because it builds up my spirit man. And I'm speaking... And I'm praising God well. I'm speaking mysteries unto God. And, and, and in praying in tongues, then it, it, it brings up words and things in the natural that I can pray out in the natural. I used to be on the way to work. I tell this story. I used to try to pray in my understanding. Before I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I could pray about five or ten minutes, and I'd run out of things to say, Lord, get, do this. Save my family. Do this. Lord, give, give us groceries. And then I'd run out of things to say. But when I began to pray in, in the Spirit, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in new tongues. And I began to pray, then words began to flow. Now, man, I, you can come up here and just get in front of people and just begin to pray, and just words are coming out. And they're, they're hitting their airways before they even go through my brain half the time, even the words in English. Because you're built up in the things of the Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for you. Well, let me not get ahead of myself. But you understand that uh, your private prayer language doesn't have to be interpreted. Many times you do interpret it as you pray out in the understanding. After you pray, you may not even realize you're doing it. But because you say a few words in, the, in, in tongues doesn't mean you've got to go tell everybody, get an interpretation real quick. Your private prayer language is private. We're talking about in a church setting the gift of tongues and interpretation, Okay. That's a different thing. And you can begin to see why. Because you're here to edify others. We're gathered together. The way you behave at home is different than you behave together. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation of some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that would be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp may play notes clearly or, or no one would recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know when they're being called to battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I'll be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. And since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen or edify the whole church. We can all be filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking, praying in tongues, but, but pray and ask to receive some gifts that will help edify others. You know, seek out those things. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. What then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will pray in the words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, and I will sing in the words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those with you who don't understand you praise God along with you? 
They don't know what you're saying. How can they join in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You will be giving thanks very well. You see, you can trust that the Holy Spirit is giving thanks to God very well. You're praising God. You don't understand what's being said, but you know that it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to pray in tongues, and he gives you the words, and it's a secret prayer language to God, then you know it's giving thanks to God well. But it won't strengthen people who hear you. See, that's the difference. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, Apostle Paul says. But in a church meeting, I'd rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as, as babies when it comes to evil, but mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. You see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. In other words, if I, if I give a tongue and there's an interpretation, then uh, the, the unbeliever is going to say, wow. You know, that's going to be a sign if it's done properly. Prophecy is for believers, people who believe I'm helping you to understand the things you believe. Even so, if unbelievers are people who don't understand these things coming to your church and they hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they're going to think you're crazy. I don't need to hear that from the amen group over here. <laughs> but if all of you are prophesying, in other words, you're speaking in a language, we're speaking in English here, English trans translation of the Bible. We're talking about the things of God, helping you understand, strengthening you, uh, prophetic foretelling. If all of you are prophesying and unbelievers are people who don't understand these things coming to your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When we meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation that God has given, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. See, the purpose of coming together as church is for all of us to be edified, not one person. They may be doing well, they may be getting theirs over there, but they're distracting everybody else. In a church meeting, when we're together, it's about everyone being edified. So we speak in a language that everyone can understand. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. This is in a church setting. If you jump up and you give a tongue, you better hope you've been hearing from the Holy Spirit and somebody interprets it or everybody's going to know it wasn't from God. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't step out. You're going to make mistakes. Everybody's, I don't want you to be so scared that you can't. But if you feel it's from God, go on. But if there's no interpretation, then you'll know next time 
That was just your flesh. You'll be growing in the things of the Spirit real quick. I personally have never given a tongue or an interpretation, except for my own tongues. I have done that on occasion in private. But I have been in meetings where it happens all the time, and there's, there's no question about it. It is of God. It does happen. There's been in church services very powerful moments when the Holy Spirit does move in this arena. And he will again if we're obedient. But we need to make sure it's the Holy Spirit and not just our flesh. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. doesn't say you just stop speaking in tongues. No, you speak. You can pray all day when you get home. Speak in tongues all day and all night. Build that spirit man up. So next time you come to church, you might have a tongue. <clears throat> let two or three people prophesy and let another evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying, another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In other words, no two people talking at the same time. No disruptions going on. Not talking over one another. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. The King James says the, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, you can control yourself. I hear people say, I can't help it. The Spirit come on me, and I, and I have to jump up and shout and run. And <laughs> The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He does not force you to do anything. If you can't control yourself, I would blame it more on your emotions than the Holy Spirit. You can't control. The, the Holy Spirit is, is a God of decency and in order, right? Because in verse 4, 33, it says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Let's go down to verse 39. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and don't forbid speaking in tongues. Is there, does anybody's Bible... Say something different than that. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Because there's a lot of churches in America forbid speaking in tongues. I just want to make sure we're all clear. We all may not understand it. May, may hadn't come to that enlightenment yet. But it says right here in black and white, don't forbid speaking in tongues. But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. See, the Holy Spirit is a God of balance. Let's do both. Let's make sure we're sensitive enough, sensitive enough to the way Holy Spirit wants to do things. And do everything in a way that edifies when we meet together. We're here to edify one another. You know, Paul, in the 16th chapter of Acts, he was out preaching. And this one woman came up. She kept saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. They have the way of the plan of salvation. 
And I imagine when they first heard that, they're like, I like this woman. She's advertisement, you know. She's saying the right things. But they kept preaching, and the next day, and she's still out there hollering the same thing. Every time they get to preaching, listen to these men. They're men of the most high God. They have the plan of salvation. Well, wasn't nothing wrong with what she was saying, but finally Paul had to rebuke her and cast the devil out. Well, nothing wrong with what she was saying. She's just out of order. You can't sit and yell something that somebody's trying to preach. Somebody needs to buy some CDs and pass them out for us. It's a nice over. All right. The Holy Spirit is, help us, is here to help us grow God's kingdom. That's on his mind more so than Holy Ghost chill bumps and us having a good time in the Holy Ghost. There's times for that. There's times for all that. And he cares about us, and we need to have experience, emotional experience and spiritual experience. That's good. But he cares about growing the kingdom, I can guarantee you, because that's what Jesus said to do. He brings order, not confusion. He's certainly not here to frighten the visitors. And he's not here to run a country club for the hyper-spiritual. Because it's not what it's all about. For many years, I'll be honest, I felt like there were times where we just tried to move the Holy Spirit's hand. We, had, we tried to force him to do things. Because earlier, you know, in the 80s or 90s or early 90s or whatever, the Holy Spirit was moving and we had times. But God does things at different times and and then he does something new. And then we, when he wasn't moving the way he used to, we began to put Holy Ghost medleys together, trying to force his hand. And when he still wouldn't move, we'd pace around up here for another hour, hoping something would happen. We'd preach a message, be an awesome message, anointed message that we should have took home with us and learned and grew from. But we were so intent that we can't leave until something truly spiritual happens that we would just circle around and, and, and wait until we forgot what we came there for. And we would have these three-hour-long services and stuff. And we didn't know any better. I mean, I was up for it too. I was right in there waiting for something to happen. But he's not a pump that he needs to be primed up. He's going to move when he wants to move. And he can move within an hour and a half service. He can move in the first 15 minutes. He can move. He knows what we're doing. When I first started pastoring, I, I felt like, man, things aren't happening spiritual like they were happening under Pastor Paul. And I, I worried about it. And I would talk to Pastor Vickers about it. Am I doing something wrong? Am I stopping the Holy Spirit? And I can guarantee you that is not my plan at all. But he says, are people getting born again? Are people coming there and getting delivered and saved and growing in the things of God? I, I said, I think so. I believe so. He said, well, just keep doing what you're doing. That's miraculous. That's the Holy Spirit moving. When people get born again, that's the greatest miracle of all. When people come and give their lives to Jesus 
That, that's way more exciting than running around the church a couple times and you don't get out of breath. And so our church, we kept a core group of people, of faithful people, but we never seemed to grow. And anything that's not growing is not healthy. And so you had to begin to ask yourself, why are we not growing? Why are we not healthy? And I think it's personally because I couldn't invite my friends to church because I thought my church would spook my friends from Jesus. Can I just be honest for a minute? I went here for many years, and I invited several friends, and every time I came, they said, I ain't going back to that church. And so I learned my lesson. I wouldn't invite nobody. I would actually minister to folks and tell them to go to the Baptist church down the road. And so when I became pastor, I said, I don't want it to be that way. I'm not embarrassed of the Holy Spirit. I am not embarrassed of the Holy Spirit. If I was to get slain right here and couldn't finish the message because I had hiccups or something, I don't know. And if, if it was the Holy Spirit, I don't care. I want the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do, but I don't. I don't want to sit here and force something to happen that is ultimately not going to be God if you're sitting there making it happen. We want to win the loss, not alienate them. And there's times for deeper spiritual stuff. You understand that, right? Our Tuesday night prayer, there's gifts of the Spirit in operation. Everybody's praying in tongues. You know, there's... There's times when more mature believers in the, in the things of the Spirit get together. And, and there'll be times in our church service when things happen, but it'll be the Holy Spirit and it won't be us manufacturing it. Dwight L. Moody said there's no better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. He wants people saved worse than we do. He doesn't want to scare them off. Sometimes what edifies us mystifies others, confuses other people. They're not spiritually mature enough to understand. What should we do? Follow after love and ask the question, does it edify? Are the way we conduct our services edifying to the little baby Christians out there as well as to the mature are we following the Holy Spirit and what He really wants to do? The Holy Spirit will decide when it's time to play a doom pop song. But I can assure you without a shadow of a doubt, and the Holy Spirit knows that I want Him to be in charge here. I always pray that. Holy Spirit, you are in charge. The praise team knows. That's what we pray. Don't let it be us. Let it be you, Holy Spirit. Do what you want to do. We pray for moves of God. We're not ashamed of the Holy Spirit one bit. We want Him to have full reign. And we want you to use your spiritual gifts. And we want you to grow in them. And we're not going to be tough on you if you use them and you make a mistake as you learn to use them. We're going to be forgiving and understanding of one another, right? I mean... 
If y'all forgive me for all the doom pop songs I threw on you for 20 years, you know. <laughs> the question is, does it edify what we're doing? Does it edify the people? 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. In other words, they're not the best things. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Sure, I could jump up and do whatever my flesh wants to do. But is it edifying someone else? Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And that's not just about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts are there to edify if they're used properly. It's not just about Holy Spirit things. It's about everything, everything in your life. And as you see, as we move forward in this series, I believe we're going to touch on some things that I hadn't even thought of yet. But I've got a few other ideas to preach on as well. And the question will be, does it edify? Between that 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 lies that little chapter called the love chapter. Chapter 13. And that's the real question that a Christian must ask. Does it demonstrate love? And does it edify? Can anybody think of a better qualifier about how we should do our church services? Because there, we have ways, I mean, we teach on the Holy Spirit. I just did. We believe in it. They'll get teaching. They will grow in the things of God, but not if we run them off before they get started. The fake will run them off. The real will reel them in. So pray for the real. And let's do things decent and in order so that everybody can understand what's happening. Use your gifts. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.